Crime and Time. On the rocks. On. <laughs> not on the rocks. We're up. But let me tell you, I'm going to say what I say every single episode. This drink is so pretty. This drink is really pretty in this light right now because it's dark out. and it's like translucent and iridescent at the same time. And it's kind of got this like violet color. Well, lavender oh God, color. So but oh, so what is in it? This is Yale. Right. So it is two ounces of dry gin, three quarter ounce creme de violette, a quarter ounce maraschino liqueur, which are three ingredients of my favorite drink ever, the right. aviation. Go back and listen to the aviation podcast. It is one of our best. Love the Wright Brothers. Yes. Although this has no lemon juice, but it does have some dry vermouth and then a dash of orange bitters. So again, we are drinking nothing but alcohol. Um, yeah, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm not excited about gin. I'm excited about cream de violet. I like violet. I think the violet and the maraschino are what you're going to taste. Yes. And I'm not super excited about the maraschino because of the, the sweetness, but. I'm smelling it. It smells good. It's so. I can smell the orange bitters. Beautiful. Like, it's just absolutely gorgeous. I have my dirty eyes so that if I, if it's too um, warm, we can try it. All right, the down the hatch, as the Yaleys so, say. I don't even want to drink it. It's so pretty. It's different than I thought it would be. It's very violet. All I taste is the violet. I taste <laughs> orange. I taste. I taste the orange bitters and the violet. Yeah, I want to put dirty ice in it because it's warm. But um, all I, I taste is the violet. I hope the picture got the gorgeousness of it. I hope so, too. It's actually, like, in this light, it's really pretty. It's absolutely beautiful. We have a single lamp. Um, it's literally dark outside. Our curtains are open. So all we have around us is dark and then the Christmas tree. And the light. Because I'm not taking it down the yet. The laptop light. <laughs> the aura. <laughs> but it's got this gorgeous um, iridescent quality. I'm, Give me the dirty ice. I'm sorry about the hiccuping. I can't stop. Hiccuping. Well, then go away. I don't want to go away. <laughs> Do you want to hear about John Hinckley Jr.? No. Well, that is what she is going to be telling us about. Because so, Shelly is going first with her story. When I thought about Yale, obviously instantly what came to mind was Jodie Foster and John Hinckley Jr. Yes. So, you know, it's like, it's something that I always knew about, but... I made it not as pretty. Mostly because, you know, of the Ronald Reagan thing, but... Well, yes, that is who we... That's what we know. Because, well, in our day... Jodie Foster was a massive star. Yes. And, I mean, that's kind of cool. Like, at the time, star starlets like that did not go to Yale. No. Well, they didn't go to school. Why go to school? Right. You have your career. And she left her massive, massive career to go to... Was that pre or post Lambs? Pre. Pre-Lambs, post-Taxi Driver. Okay. Interesting. But she was still a massive star at the time that she went. Yes. Taxi driver made her a massive star. She was like 18 or 19 years uh -huh. old when she first enrolled in Yale. It dominated the entire world in 1990. I remember going to a Halloween party and people were dressing as it. I I watched it as a teenager, but I feel like nowadays was, people are more protective of what, you yeah. know, that kind of I, stuff. Well, I was out of school. I was It was 1990 when it came out. And I had graduated that year. So that first Christmas after 1990, I went to a Halloween party. It was a college party. It was so cool. We were drinking. I <gasps> was 15 in 1990. <laughs> and I saw it. So Ooh. not much different than these children. I saw it in the theater. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I see. I let you watch a lot, but I'm not sure I'll let you watch that. It's freaky. Have you heard they're coming out with a new show? So they had the Hannibal show, which was bizarre. Did you watch it? No, I don't have the Netflix. No, Hannibal was a regular network show. Oh, well, I think it's on Netflix right now. It should not have been a network show. It was freaking freaky and very violent. But now they're coming out with a new one called Clarice. Oh. That is from her perspective. And so I kind of want to watch that. Can you go away now? Love you. Go to Yale. (laughs) All right. John Hinckley Jr. John Hinckley Jr. So John Warnick Hinckley Jr. was born in 1955 in Oklahoma. And then he moved to Dallas, Texas at the age of four. His family was wealthy. His father was... He sounds... His name sounds Yeah, wealthy. Warnick. John Hingley Jr. John Warnick Hingley. Oh, pardon me. John Warnick Hingley Jr. I'm saying this with my bottom jaw completely clenched. You absolutely are. <laughs> so his father was the chairman and president of the Vanderbilt Energy Corporation. Ah, uh, damn. Yeah. So he grew up in Dallas. He graduated from high school in 1973. Right after high school, um, his family relocated to Evergreen, Colorado, um, it was like a work-related relocation. Oh. So Hinkley goes to college. He tries. He fails. Um, he decided to become a famous songwriter. He tried that. He failed. He decided to become a famous songwriter. Yes. Okay. He tried and failed that. Um, he invented a girlfriend by the name of Lynn Collins. Oh. So... He was living away from home at this time, but by 1976, just, you know, like three, two and a half, three years later, he had to move back in with his parents. So he's back in Colorado. Oh, um, John. He's just, I'm so sad. He's just going to live with mommy and daddy forever. I'm sure that's tragic. So during the 1970s and 80s, John Hinckley Jr. began purchasing weapons. He was practicing with them. He was the like... The 70s and 80s. That's two decades. He had nothing else to do. He was living with mommy and daddy. Um, so he would like practice target shooting and that sort of thing and just being really comfortable and familiar with the weapons that he bought. Okay. Um, he was also on a lot of antidepressants and tranquilizers because he had a lot of mental and emotional issues. Which in those days were pretty hefty drugs. Hefty, yeah. Like probably like lithium or something. Yeah. It didn't say, but I'm assuming that it was, it wasn't well butrin, let's just say that. Exactly. <laughs> so in 1976 is when John Hinckley Jr. saw the movie Taxi Driver. He was obsessed with it. So Taxi Driver, if you're not familiar, featured Robert De Niro. He was playing Travis Bickle, who was plotting to assassinate a presidential candidate. Wasn't there a Vietnam tie with Taxi Driver? Never seen it, actually. Oh. Yeah. You I know, feel you like know I've I'm seen not it. a movie watcher. I do. I know. I know you're not. I feel like I've seen it, and I feel like there was a... And I may be getting it confused with Deer Hunter, but I feel like there was a non-connection. Yeah, I that I can't answer. But anyway, Travis, the Travis Bickle character was uh-huh. based on Arthur Bremer, who had attempted to assassinate candidate George Wallace. And then a- actress Jodie Foster played a 12-year-old child named Iris Steensma, who was a sex who was sex trafficked, aka at the time she was called a child prostitute. Right. But, you know, the way you say it now is that she was sex, sex trafficked because that's actually what happened. Yes, because she had no say in it whatsoever. She was 12. Yes. The character. So after... Interesting, she- though, that, like, I feel like Jodie Foster's career and Brooke Shields' career 
was so different than child careers now. Oh, for sure. Like based on the roles that they were playing yes. and how they were looked at. Even like um, Tatum O'Neill, some of those other. Yeah. Not that child actors now don't play horrifying roles and have horrifying moments in their in scenes and whatnot, but just the They weren't things... child prostitutes or Right. Yeah. And or it wasn't it wasn't like um like so now there might be like sex scenes. Yeah, there might be like a after school special where a child gets pushed into sex trafficking or whatever. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a cautionary tale. It no. was like this is a woman, but yes. she's twelve. And they were being used as that. Yes. Crazy. But yeah, so John Hinckley Jr. became obsessed with Jodie Foster. Um, and just a couple years later in 1980, Jodie Foster went to Yale. She entered Yale as a freshman. She because was she was smart. She was very smart. She majored in literature. Did Brooke Shields go somewhere big too? Um, not sure about that, but... I feel like she did. Yeah, could possibly be. But they kind of broke the mold because that wasn't done. No. If it, you had a career, that was your career. You didn't, yeah, you don't go to Yale. No, why? You don't need to, uh-uh. dear. But Jodie Foster actually was kind of thinking about, like, this was going to be a break for her. It was going to be, like, she'll have a normal college experience. No. But She's Jodie Foster. That didn't happen. So Hinckley was so obsessed with Jodie Foster that he actually moved to New Haven, Connecticut. Wow. And he started stalking her. So he would send her messages, like put messages under the door of her dormitory. <gasps> How did he know which dorm she was in? He just, Yale's not that big. Oh he figured God, it so out. so creepy. Um, he repeatedly would call her and leave her messages, which I know, like, even in, even when I was in college in the 90s, the early 90s, we had a directory of all the dorm people, and you could see where everybody... Why in the hell would they do that? I don't know if it was public, but, like, everybody on campus, you could, I could say... Oh, where, where does, you know, Tom Jones, what room is he in? And I could call the number. Everybody oh, had their own number. My gosh. I did not live on a dorm, but I did have a kid who, I remember seeing him at my junior college and then I saw him at my college, at my university too. And he would follow me. Every class that I came out of, he was there. And I had a friend and I was talking to her and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yes, I've seen him too. And he, every class we came out of, he was there. And we went and mentioned it to the university police. And they're like, yes, we've we've heard of him. We're aware of him. The Thank police you. that I work at now? The police that you work at now. <laughs> yes. They're like, yes, we're aware of him. Thank you. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I have no idea if anything ever happened with him or became of him. But every class we came out of. He was there. He was there. So that just reminded me of a funny story. Not serious at all, but. When I was at my previous college, when I lived in Buffalo, New York, I was at my college and um, I worked for the student union. And one of my jobs was to like hang up flyers because it was before internet and social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would go to like all the bulletin boards and hang up flyers for these events that the student union was hosting. So I'm like, you know, going from building to building to building. And I was walking from like one section to the other. And this guy was in front of me. And he like, every time we'd, so in Buffalo, the way the campus was, 
to get from building to building, you could still be indoors, but it was like these little passageways. Yes, you had to be because it's freaking Buffalo. Because it's freaking Buffalo. So every time you would go through these passageways, there'd be like a door. So there's all these doors that we're going in and out of. And every time he would hold the door open for me and like, look. And I'm like, <gasps> but he was ahead of me. So I'm like, well, that's But kinda... he knew your route. I No, it wasn't a planned route. It was just like, I was just going from one place to another. So I was just like, well, that's kind of weird. And finally he turns and he goes, are you following me? And, or no. Shock face. And I'm like, no, you're creeping me out, dude. I know. I'm like, (laughs) no. (laughs) You're the creepy one. Like we, it's like if you've ever driven somewhere and had the same person in front of you the whole time and you're like, do they think I'm following them? Yes. It was like that kind of thing. I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm working. (laughs) This is my job. But nothing like Jodie Foster had to deal with. No, this is, she, he's seriously stalking her. Yes. And so he like made all these phone calls to her. The wrestling Um, you're hearing is kitten. Yes. The kitten is playing. Sorry. (laughs) But anyway, um, I found this FBI report, which is like a redacted copy, like a photocopy scanned of an interview that the FBI had with her. Oh my goodness. Um, And so this is like part of the report. It says. Okay. Miss Foster advised, to the best of her recollection, all of these phone calls were received within the period of a few days in September or October 1980, shortly after she had started as a student at Yale. Miss Foster said she remembered the calls because of the fact the caller had been making a pest of himself calling numerous times during that period. Miss Foster said that she was sure he had called more than seven times that were recorded on a tape. Ugh. So he's calling enough times that she's recording it on a tape. And she's calling enough times that she has seven recordings of him on a tape. Yes. And I want to say... And that I, is not an easy thing to do in 1980. No. And I want to say, I don't have it written down here, but um, I feel like her roommate had also received calls that were meant for Jody. Uh-huh. That was like, she was like, who's this creeper? That's insane. She's freaking Jody Foster and she has a roommate in college. Yeah. She was doing the normal she college thing. She a normal college life. Yeah. So... After Hinckley failed to get Jodie Foster's attention, he thought, like, maybe he would hijack an aircraft or oh commit... Oh, my God. Yeah. Or commit suicide in front of her because he wanted to get her attention. Well, that would do it. But he finally settled on a scheme to impress her. He decided to assassinate a president. That will definitely get you noticed. And, you know, definitely win the good graces of the person you're trying to win yes. over. Yes. Every, you know, fledgling movie star who had a hit movie and then went to Yale wants to be with someone who assassinated a president. Totally. That's, that is, that's their type right there. Totally. So he Holy thought crap. that, um, he thought that by achieving a place in history, he would appeal to her as an equal. However, achieving a place in history, a notorious place in history, is not the same thing as starring in a movie. Yes. A, we probably I know won't that. be talking about her in 100 you years. You know that. <laughs> B, he's going to go to prison. Although, I, well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, he first decided that he would... Um, try for Jimmy Carter. So he began trailing Jimmy Carter from state to state. He, Is Jimmy Carter still president at this yes, time? Yes, Jimmy Carter okay. was president. He um, ended up being arrested in Nashville on a firearms charge. I think, I can't remember for sure, but I either read it and didn't, 
added in, or I did mention it in my failed presidential assassination attempt episode. Go back and listen. That was good. Yeah. But anyway, by that time, after that failed, he was broke, so he had to go home. And so he goes back to Colorado. He starts getting more treatment for depression and for psychiatric disorders, but nothing really helped. Yeah. So... In 1981, when the newly elected president, Ronald Reagan, was inaugurated, he decided that this time he had to succeed, so he began researching the JFK assassination. Ooh! And so... I might mention that. Oh, really? Interesting. (laughs) So anyway, he gets obsessed with that. He starts researching it. And then, before he finally decides to assassinate Reagan, he writes a letter to Jodie Foster and says... Over the past seven months, I've left you dozens of poems, letters, and love messages in the faint hope that you could develop an interest in me. Although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I never had the nerve to simply approach and introduce myself. Thank God. Yeah. The reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I cannot wait any longer to impress you. And then he also sent her a postcard of Reagan's inauguration and wrote on it, One day you and I will occupy the White House and the peasants will drool with envy. Um, he's about to assassinate someone, and he thinks that he will be elected president with his first lady, Jodie Foster. He is so incredibly delusional. Oh, incredibly. So then, March 30th... Um, Kitten thinks our drink is very fascinating. Kitten is into the drink, for sure. Kitten (laughs) loves yell. So, March 30th, 1981, President Ronald Reagan was shot and wounded by Hinckley in Washington, Washington D.C. This is where the Brady Bill comes in. Yes. Okay. As he was returning to his limousine after a speaking engagement at the Washington Hilton Hotel, Reagan was seriously wounded by a 22 long rifle bullet that had ricocheted. A 22? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, the bullet had ricocheted off the side of his limousine and hit him in the left underarm. He broke a rib, punctured a lung, or punctured a long, as I typed, (laughs) and he had serious internal bleeding. He was extremely close to death upon arrival at George Washington University Hospital in the emergency. A lung puncture is no joke. Oh, it's no joke. Yeah. I've dealt with two over the last four years. My best friend. One on each side. Yes. Not me. Not you. (laughs) Husband. (laughs) My best friend growing up, her mom um, had to get an injection I think it was like a cortisone injection and she was extremely thin and so Mm. they do the injection they were trying to do it into her shoulder and they punctured her lung that happened to the quarterback of the Chargers this year oh really first game they punctured his lung yeah so it can happen Oh my I mean, this one happened by a bullet, but... Right. But a tiny little bullet. Like, yeah. the twenty two is so... And a ricochet tiny. at that. I've, from what I understand, the twenty two, one of the reasons why it's so deadly is if it goes into your skull, it does not have the velocity to exit your skull. Mm-hmm. So it will spin around in your brain pan, scrambling your brain. And that is how people die from a twenty two. Yeah, it's like, on one hand, it's less de- deadly because if it hits you in, like, a fleshy area... It's just gonna... Yeah. Ping, this hurts. We can take it out. But in a vital area, it's gonna cause damage because it can't get back out. Right. So, yeah, Reagan was extremely close to death. Um, in the emergency room, he was stabilized. He was taken to surgery. So how was Mr. Brady killed? Um, well, he... I'll, go, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. 
Um, but Reagan recovered. He was released on April 11th. And then he famously told his wife, Nancy, that I, that he forgot to duck. But just so such a like. That's so cute. I, I know. just forgot to duck. I forgot to duck. Oh so, my God. The press secretary at the time. But that sounds very like at, having listened to your failed presidential attempts. That seems very reasonable. Yes. You hear it. You're supposed to duck. That's what they train you to do. I forgot to duck. Oh my but God, it was a ricochet. Adorable. It's not his fault. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't his fault at all. At all. But yes. Um, so White House press secretary James Brady um, and Sir, secret, service, secret Service agent Tim McCarthy and police officer Thomas Delahanty were also wounded. All three of them survived, although Brady suffered brain damage and was permanently disabled. And Brady eventually died in 2014, and his death was ruled a homicide because the cause was ultimately determined to be his injuries from that shooting. Right. So, Jodie Foster was subpoenaed to testify at John Hinckley Jr.'s trial. What the hell does she have to say, though? She doesn't know this guy. Yes, she doesn't know this guy. But she received, like, the letter and stuff. So that's probably what it was for. I would think I they know. could have just taken that into evidence and not bothered her. They probably just wanted her there because she's Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. But anyway, the entire experience was extremely difficult for her. She rarely has made co- public comments about it. Yeah. In 1982, she wrote an essay titled Why Me, which was published in Esquire on the condition that there be no cover lines, no publicity, and no photos. Oh, wow. And then in 1991, she canceled an interview with the Today Show when she discovered that Hinckley would be mentioned in the introduction and the producers had refused to change that. Oh, wow. Just the mention of him. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, you know what? I admire that though, because she's not wanting to give him any press. Yes. This is not who I'm about. I, my career is based on my merits. This is a crazy person. He does not deserve our time. He does not deserve. Yeah. He doesn't need to live in her space. Yeah. Which I get. She earned her own shit. Yeah. Um, and then in 1999, Foster did discuss Hinckley with Charlie Rose on 60 Minutes 2 and explained that she doesn't like to dwell on it. She said, I wanted to be the actress who was remembered for, I never wanted to be the actress who was remembered for that event because I didn't, it didn't have anything to do with me. It didn't. I was kind of a hapless bystander, but what a scarring, strange moment in history for me to be 17 years old, 18 years old, and to be caught up in a drama like that. I cannot even imagine being that age and having that on you. Someone shot the president to impress you for you. That is has nothing to do with you. No, at seventeen, and the same guy was stalking you. Mm-hmm. He's he's killing the freaking president, and he was stu- he was so close to you that he knew your phone number and like knew where you lived. Was yeah, putting like notes underneath your so door. So he had been to your room. That's insane. I cannot imagine handling that at 17. It's terrifying. That's crazy. I can't imagine handling that now at 40 freaking way too old. No. But anyway, the um, actual document that I found the interview from um, Jodie Foster from the FBI was on the Black Vault. And then I used History.com, Heavy.com, Wikipedia, and Dateline, NBC News, Hinkley Diary of a Dangerous Mind. So... Now... Let's talk about Hinckley. Isn't he out? He's out. Yeah. 
He's living with mom, correct? He's so he at one point he was out for like a day pass and then was going back at night, but he's pretty much out like But he lived with his mother. Yes. In upstate New York? I think so. I didn't actually like I I don't know. I wasn't really like I was more into the Jodie Foster angle, so I kind of just yeah. like I don't know. But yeah, he is out. He's wow. essentially either 100% out or like 85% out. Okay, but, and I know he didn't shoot a president because he wanted any political agenda, but he shot a president. Yes. That's crazy. It's crazy. All right, so I researched Yale, and I, obviously, history, I'm going to do the Skull and Bone Society. I pretty much told you if you didn't you do did. it, I was going to do it. Well, because there's a crime. There's there's a lot of alleged crime. A lot of alleged crime. But there's a crime crime. But, yeah, I'm super glad you decided to. But, uh, like, I was like, we can't okay. do Yale and, not, and one of us not do this. I do not know how good of a job I did. Because I researched this thing. And I am more confused about this thing now that I have researched it than I was prior to researching it. That seems right. I don't know what it is. I cannot pin it down. You can probably believe whatever you want to believe about this organization. I feel like that the roots can go real deep, like if you're getting into conspiracy theories and stuff. Yes. Oh, beyond... I, I, this story I worked on for probably three weeks. Oh, gosh. Because I could not understand some of the conspiracy theories. Some of them, the nexus lines were so faint and vague and crazy. I well, couldn't get there. Didn't you text me that the FBI is probably following your account now? <laughs> 100% the FBI is following my account now. This is either a weird frat house that has a reputation that they're capitalizing on or that's what they want you to believe and or it is a devil worshiping death cult that is controlling our lives it's one of those two things i can believe either one to be honest oh my gosh yes you can it's 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 absolutely insane so i i i'm going to go back and forth i'm going to talk about both and i hope what I'm doing makes sense. Let's get weird. So just letting you know, as as we say at the end of every podcast, we are drunks, not experts. And I, I did the best I could. Let's get weird. Okay, so the whole thing started from a freaking grudge. This dude was pissed off, maybe, <laughs> that he... Okay, so everything... I'm just okay. So Yale I'm just has. Read what I wrote. Yale doesn't have traditional fraternities, right? No, they do not. They, they have, have societies. these societies. Okay. They have these societies, and there's a bunch of them. Okay. So I'm just gonna read what I wrote because this line I hope sounds good. I mean, I I I think I'm okay at writing. Everything. Okay. So you can believe whatever you want about the group, and find sources and text evidence to back it up. Everything from that it was founded because of a snub and a grudge to it, be, to it being founded as a sister organization to an occult society in Germany that led directly to the Nazi party. The contrasting stories don't stop there. You can believe that this group is a simple frat with silly privileged children doing dumb stuff as 21-year-old boys 
or you can believe that they are Satan worshiping leaders of an assassination team. That's what I mean. That's my opening paragraph. You can believe either or because like, if you want to go deep into conspiracy theories, which I have a coworker that's like super into conspiracy theories. So we talked about this. Yes, we've talked about him. Yeah, we talk about this stuff a lot. But it's like, everything is always like, it's either this dark, evil, deep thing, or it's this other thing, but that's what they want you to believe. Oh my God. There are websites tying this group to every bad thing that has happened in the entire history of the United States post 1831. Or it's just a frat, or that's what they want you to believe. Right, or it's just a freaking frat where, oh my God, like, okay, okay. Scenario number one, simple frat house. Sometime in 1832, William Harrington Russell, who was the valedictorian of Yale, um, was snubbed by the Phi Beta Kappa Awards by the that were put on by the Yale Debating Society, the society's Linola Brothers in Unity, and the Calipinian Society. And he was overlooked by them, and he was pissed. So he's, he's like, I'm the freaking valed- valedictorian. Yes, yeah, so he's like, fuck you, I'm going to join my own society. So he comes up with the Skull, skull and Bones. <laughs> um, so together with his friend, Alfonso Taft, yes, that Taft. That Taft. Um, former... We have referenced this one twice now. The same episode, the Ohio. Oh, that's right. Is it? No, 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 no. Failed assassinations for you was the Clint. The Clint, yes. But this Taft was the Ohio. So anyway, so he organizes the Order of the Skull and Bones in December of 1832. At the time, they spelled skull S-C-U-L-L, but they later changed it to S-K-U-L-L, the more traditional spelling. Or... Um, <laughs> secret society based on world domination and eugenics. William Russell had been studying in Germany from 1831 to 1832, and he founded the Skull and Bones to be a sister organization to one that he was in in Germany. Um, he founded the club at Yale the as the Skull und Bones. Yes, the Skull und Bones. <laughs> My goodness, with my last name, I shouldn't make those jokes. I did teach German three and four for a year. I thought you taught Russian three and four. German. Didn't you teach Russian? No. Oh my goodness. I don't know Russian, nor German. <laughs> you don't know fucking German. So what's the big deal? So anyway, he, um, he, he studied in Germany, and he, the other scenario... I'm going to go back and forth between scenarios now. We'll keep, well, yeah, we'll track. Just keep you. track. So the other scenario is that he founded the club in Yale as the second chapter of the German society known as the Bavarian Illuminati. Now, okay. there's another theory that if the Illum- if the skull and bones is part of the Illuminati, they are the head of the Illuminati because uh. skull and bones is deeper and be fo- and bigger than Illuminati. That doesn't track with me because the Illuminati is like so much earlier. Like it's based in earlier. It didn't happen. Yes. But apparently Skull and Bones is just better. They just took over. But there's also a thing. I was watching YouTube videos and there's this thing in San Francisco where this guy was, tr- was standing on the sidewalk and this doorman freaking kicked him off of the sidewalk from this club in San Francisco that is associated with all these people. You don't know what to believe. It's it's crazy. 
Like, there's all of this Nexus lines and... and, and did you watch linking. the um, episode that Jesse Ventura did, like, on his, like, conspiracy theory I show? I did not even know that Jesse Ventura had a conspiracy theory yeah, show. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but he I'm pretty sure he did one on Skull and Bones, but... Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, anyway, he's found in this club as the second chapter of a German secret society known as the Bavarian Illuminati, that this is, this is one of the ideas where number 322 comes into existence. I'm going to talk about 322 a lot. Put a pin in that. Ding. So, the number is a play on the formation of the year 32, 1832, and the number two, which stands for the second chapter. Bones is also a core in the German university. That's what they call their, their like, clubs. You're a core. You're a bones. You're a bones. Yes. Okay. So, some sources also say that he was, he started the group in the Elugarian Club, which was later changed to Skull and Bones and incorporated in 1856. This origin story the club that the, says that the club was incorporated and started as a business entry under the name the Russell Trust Association. You can find whatever you freaking want about this group. It kind of is reminding me, like, I hate to go here, but it's kind of reminding me of the whole Dominion voting um, scandal. Oh my goodness. So... I have a friend, my sister-in-law lives in Nashville, and I have a friend that I met through her who lives in Nashville who posted this thing about the bombing. The Nashville bombing, yes, because they AT&T was doing, a, yeah. The whole thing, yes. So they bombed to slow down the this or the that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very much along those lines. Like, I feel like there's like... You know, it's like someone in a basement with red yarn connecting all these lines. And like, yes, you can make all these things connect. The, the connection. The same way I can connect you to Kevin Bacon. You can totally connect me to Kevin Bacon. The, actually, you can connect me to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> because my sister-in-law was in a group where he was also in that group. But I won't say what that group was. Um, Scientology? No. <laughs> Scientology. JK, JK. Um, but yes, this this is very red yarn group, and you can make whatever you want. I love, okay, I love it. that. It's a red yarn group. I can't even, it's so freaking confusing, and there's so much this, and there's so much that. And I, okay, I just need to read you what I wrote. Okay. Okay. I'm on board. Blah. So they became incorporated, no matter how they started, whether they were a frat group or a, or a, Illuminati. Illuminati destined to put on the New World Order. They became incorporated in 1956 and they built a small clubhouse. Cute. Yes. They built it in the style of a brownstone in, in 1856. It was a windowless building. Because you don't want windows into no. your dark se secrets. You don't. They actually also bought an island called Deer Island. <gasps> I didn't know that. They own an island called Deer Island where they all go to relax and according to, but see, this it's, is whole, the whole conspiracy thing. According to some of the people that go to Deer Island, it's like a rundown, dilapidated island where you, you go because you have to go because you're part of Skull and Bones, but it fucking sucks while you're there. But, but that's it's what a they secret want you, island. That's what they want you to believe. <laughs> or it could be this fabulous castle island with all of these conspiracies and secret tunnels and, and weapons of mass destruction. Yes. Anyway, so they built this clubhouse to resemble an old tomb. No windows, ivy everywhere, and they called it the tomb. The tomb. That's what okay. it's called. 
So they expanded in 1903 and they finished construction in 1912 with an enclosed courtyard. Comes up later. Um, the theory, of course, has all sorts of crazy nexus lines all the way back to opium smugglers, back to the Culpepper spy ring of the Revolutionary War. Like, uh, that doesn't check out for me. People are connecting this thing to whatever the hell they want to connect it to. It's like the Red Yarn Society. I mean, that's like, that's the conspiracy. Yes. So it's, it's, it's got ties all the way back to Culpepper or it's a frat house with license plates. On or the that's what they want you to believe. <laughs> so either way. This group, it's a new group on campus. At first, they they were just meeting everywhere, and it's it's very hush-hush. So there's only 15 members at any given time. Ever. Ever. Hmm. I, that I did not know. Yes. So there's, there's, once you're in, you're in. Once you're a bonesman, you're a bonesman. So there's only, there's a, there's a finite number. Like, depending on the generations, it's something like 460 bonesmen alive at a time. Oh, so they take like 15 a year. They take 15 a year. Okay. But the only people that are active on campus at a time is 15. Got it. So in the spring. So the legacies are still members, but they're. But they're gone. Like so George Bush is a. Is a member. Member. Yeah. All of the Bushes. All. Yeah. Not all of them. No, strike that. Bush Sr. and W. Yes. Are members. Not Jeb. He's, he's dumb. He didn't make it. <laughs> didn't make the cut man he didn't make the cut in more ways than one <laughs> so anyway the 15 seniors because it's a senior only organization okay so the 15 seniors go out during tap night now they used to hold tap night in the courtyard and it was for all of the society so this is rush this is rush yes rush week what we have at the beginning of the year they do at the end of the year but they do it at the end of like the junior year and they select the seniors for the next year. Is that what? Correct. Okay. So the seniors. That makes more sense. The seniors that are in are in all year. And they select the. They select from the junior class. class. From the junior class. Okay. Yes. That makes more sense actually. Yes. Well, what do we do? So like they pick friends because we have all four years at the same time. So well, they select freshmen at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. To come in. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I didn't do it. I didn't do I it was, either. I just work at a university. So. I was reasonably involved with AGR my freshman year. You mean you went to their parties? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> Buckle money. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so they've got this thing. So they come out and it's tap night. Now it is, it's put indoors to, to hide from prying eyes but at the time there were no cell phones yeah it's so you super could hold secret, it outside yeah. yes so what would happen is these seniors would come out two at a time and they would tap people on the shoulder and they would say skull and bones do you accept and then the person would say yes i accept and then they would escort their person into the tomb okay i like it yes so that way they kept it secret because the juniors want to be involved so badly they're not going to say anything. The freshmen and the sophomores, all they know is this mysterious society that, ooh, you want to be a part of. And the people that said no never got escorted to the place. They never got escorted. Nobody says no. Well, yeah, you wouldn't say no. But should there be somebody that right. said no? But then the people that 
escort you are leaving. And they're off on their lives. Yeah, so you can't, yeah. Right. So that's how you get invited. Now, the initiation. Kind of like the grand jury because... (laughs) (laughs) I just... Totally! I just finished a stint on my local county grand jury. And it wasn't secret. I mean, it's public. But you basically get jumped in and then they don't tell you anything. And then, like... You get jumped into the grand jury? Basically. (laughs) Like, the judge swears you in and then you're you're just doing grand jury stuff. You're just doing grand jury stuff. I won't be on the grand jury. Yeah, and then it's time to leave and... The new people are coming in. Like, I'm just like, bye. You know? So you're not on anymore? No. I'm jelly. I was on I mean, it. And I was always jelly. I was actually on it for 18 months, which is like six months longer than typical because of. So you're really only on it for a year and then you're out? Yeah. You can do it more than once if you choose, but I was on it for 18 months and it sucked because of COVID. So right. I didn't elect to continue. I may do it again in the future when things are normal. I want to. You could probably apply. I want to. You don't have time. I had, I applied for jury duty once when I worked at the court. I went to the to the jury selection place window and I said, I want to be on jury duty. And they put me on. It was a very fun. It's the only time I've ever been on a jury. Well, I know it, we live in different counties, but in my county, if you decide you want to be on the grand jury, you can pretty much get on the grand jury. They oh. are, they welcome applications. I would not have time to do it. You don't have time to do it. I felt like I didn't have time to do it. <laughs> right. And I don't have children or a job that's as demanding. Oh my God, my job is so stupid. I love my job. I love my job, but it's so stupid. Okay, so initiations. I'm scared. Initiation number one. We're going to go through many iterations of their possible initiations because we don't know. It's secret. Because it's a secret society. Like literally, so George Bush was asked about it. Both of them. So there's one scene where Senior is asked about it. And he whispers to the, because you're supposed to leave the room. If you are asked about it, you're supposed to leave the room as a bonesman. You just get up and leave. You just get up and leave. So he was asked about it and he turns to this guy next to him and he goes, they want me to leave the room. They're trying to get me to leave the room. Not telling her weird at all. And then Junior was like, <laughs> it's so secret. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's so secret. I does it still exist? I don't know. It's so secret. Now, was George Sr.'s father involved in this? Or we don't know? No, but there's another Bush that was. I'll tell you about him in a minute. Okay. Just put a pin in that. Ding. Um, no, maybe it is George. No, it's George Sr.'s father. It's G- it's W's grandfather. I can't yes. think of his name, but he was the Pen. head of the CIA. Prescott Bush. Prescott. Yeah. Put a pin in Prescott. Yeah. Um, and then Carrie, when he was asked about it, he was like... Yeah, I can't tell you anything. It's secret. It's, I can't tell I you feel like, it's secret. So George H.W. Oh, yes. George At one Senior. point, we had two candidates that were both bonesmen, but, which will be significant when I get to that. So George H.W., I liked his remark, though, about they're just trying to get me to leave the room. Yeah. Like, that's... That would be my remark. I'd be like, you're just trying to get me to leave the room. <laughs> but he didn't say it to them. He said it to the guy next to him. Yeah. Very hush-hush under his breath. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, initiations. So initiation number one. New recruits are forced to lay down in a coffin, completely nude, and they're carried through the tomb while the rest of them shout, Reborn! Reborn! 
Okay, I see where that, yeah. Makes sense. And then the recruit needs to recite their entire sexual history to the other members of the group. Blackmail. Yes. Blackmail. Exactly. That is supposed to bond them together because now they have a secret on one another. Now, put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that. Are you going to talk about Pizzagate next? I don't know what Pizzagate is. Oh, God. Don't don't go there. <laughs> I don't know what Pizzagate is. Just don't go there. <laughs> but there's there's... It all just circles back on itself. This is just the weirdest thing. Oh, my God. It's the weirdest thing ever. So... Another group, another thing, has them going to the land of self-love. Okay. In while front of in each the, other? Yes, while they're in the coffin. Now, I do not understand fraternity's fascination with male nudity and self-love. Or just male nudity in general. There's a bar in our town that when I was a kid, the rumor was if you were going to be a bouncer at that bar... On your fir- after your first shift, you and all of your fellow bouncers were to walk across the street and strip. And either they would pour a beer down your back and catch it underneath your bum, or they would pour a beer down the biggest guy's back and catch it under his bum, and you were forced to drink it. But unless sweaty balls, yes. But unless you did that and drank the beer, you would be fired. Is this on like a numbered street and a street with a letter? Yes, that's a three-story building yeah. that I got to explore one time because I was dating one of the bouncers there, <laughs> and he took me upstairs. And the history nerd, he like wanted to go upstairs and do stuff, and I wanted to go upstairs and look at all the old stuff. <laughs> Because this building is like 100 years old. So, yeah, I don't understand the whole frat thing with that. But so they're laying in the coffin. And the idea is it reminds them that life is short and you have a limited time to leave your mark on the world. Or we're just going to blackmail you because you did this. Okay. So that's where we leave the realm of normalcy okay so we're into conspiracy theory station here yes so initiation number two it's all the same you're still in the coffin you're still naked you're still masturbating but while you're masturbating you're holding a skull and swearing allegiance to the devil yes because this represents your Death of your old life and your rebirth into your new life as a Satanist and your dedication to the new world order. The new world order. Yes. It's all about the new world order. That is what you're trying to achieve Uh, as 15 people a year. I don't know if I like leaving the new world order like in the hands of 23-year-olds. Right? Because they're idiots. So initiation number three. So this is, I found this as a YouTube video and it was actually reported on the news. I want to say it was Tom Brokaw who's sitting there on the little YouTube video saying, this is film received from blah, 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 blah. So it was these guys who lived near the tomb who were overlooking the courtyard. So they could see into the courtyard? They could see into the courtyard from their balcony. Okay. And they were recording it with these night vision goggles. Even with that, it was still like blurry and crazy. Okay. Okay, so 
It's very grainy, hard to see. They claim that it recounts that the recruits are led into one by speaking with a devil costume figure holding a butcher knife. There's a scantily clad woman kneeling in front of him. This version is also linked to devil worship and the occult, blah, 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 blah. So the other people are, are saying this mantra over and over. Hangman's equals death. Death equals death. The devil equals death. Death equals death. And then supposedly, someone who is led by the devil costume figure, the initiates are instructed, hurry, neophyte, run, neophyte, find the femur, neophyte. Uh. Well, the femur is going to figure in later. The devil figure then leads them to a tent in the back courtyard where the bones are then found. Once they leave the tent, they're still in the courtyard, and then they go to the main point of the ritual where they are face-to-face -face with the man with the man clad as a devil holding a butcher knife wearing an animal skin and standing in front of a woman who is covered in flake blood but not much else and the neophyte is instructed to approach and kiss the skull that sits next to the woman and then the devil clad person pretends to cut the throat of the woman below him i can see that as like a simulation to kind of freak people out to get to be like are you real are you serious yeah. are you gonna do this or are you a wuss right okay now there's initiation number four which sounds a little more frat house okay so this version and this was recorded makes me think of overprivileged 21 year olds so there are people dressed as characters there's the pope the devil and don quixote okay so basically the village people Kind of. They claim that they have Don Quixote's skull. So that's why they have Don Quixote as one of their figures. Okay, interesting. Because I was like, I don't know where he fits in with the Pope. but okay. And then they have someone impersonating George Bush Sr. <laughs> because he was a member. And so. It's, <laughs> it's like jump the shark at this point. Kind of. George Bush Sr. says... I got the power to bomb the crap out of China, and they give me this station. What? I know. And then one of the other people, maybe one of the initiates, says, Uncle Toby? Uncle Toby? They all repeat. Shut up, neophyte. Take the plunger out of my ass, Uncle Toby. What the heck is Uncle Toby? I don't know. This is it's this is fake. It's, it's some like literature reference, but I guess I'm not smart enough to know it. I didn't read that book. No. Presumably, this is the ploy to scare the initiates into thinking that Uncle Toby is going to stick a plunger up their ass. Eh, lame. Yes. So then the, but can you not see this? Yeah. Like this is what 21-year-olds would do. 21-year-old boys are yes. children. They are stupid children. So then the cheerful, the whole group says, they shout back. And then George Bush says, I'm going to ream you like I reamed Al Gore. <laughs> and then someone screams out, help me, it's the devil. <laughs> and then George Bush says, I'm going to kill you like I killed Al Gore. Wait, but didn't George Jr. beat Al Gore? Or do they not know that because they're 21? They probably don't know that because they're 21 and stupid. 
So then there's yet another version where all they have to do is recite words and wrestle in mud. Children. It's, it's, there's so many different versions of what is going on in this thing. No one knows. And it's probably a combination of all of these and probably stupid. It probably involves masturbation. Or... It probably involves weird stuff with fake people and I fake could totally, blood. Like, initiation number one, I could totally see. Because they want to freak you out. They want to see if you're, like... If you Are you hang, cool? Like, so they're carrying you in this coffin, like, through the tomb. Like, scare you. And you're naked. Like, yes. They gotta, like, break you down to build you up. And then to scare you by pretending to cut someone's throat. Yeah. It's, it's very bizarre. But anyway, once you're in, you're in. You're in for life. Blood in, blood out. Blood in, blood out. So there is a rumor that I could not find substantiated with a date, but there is a rumor that once you're in, you're given $15,000 and assured that you will have <clears throat> financial stability your entire life. Well, so far from all the members that I do know of, that seems to check out. Yes. And they do that so that you will not sell their secrets. You have no reason to sell their secrets. You're fine. So... If they really are a nefarious secret society, that checks out. Yes. If they're not, if they're a frat house, that doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. However, then there's this that sounds like a weird group from the 1830s. You're also given a grandfather clock. Because what 21-year-old doesn't want an enormous piece of useless furniture? Everyone loves a grandfather clock. Because you there's have no, to. There's no other way to tell what time it is. You need a giant piece of furniture that weighs a fucking ton in your living room. That you have to have serviced. <laughs> yeah. So, they're giving $15,000 in grandfather clock. Uh, your grandfather clock. Oh, wait. I don't have one. Clock I don't have one. <laughs> I have a freaking freaking Steinway piano that was brought around the goddamn Horn of South America. But I don't have a grandfather clock. No, you don't. You have an iPhone like everybody else. I should have a grandfather clock. My grandparents got a grandfather clock when they went to the Reno timeshare presentation <laughs> that was made of plywood. Anyway, so, but the whole point is when they join their kids, their kids, they're not powerhouses of these Fortune 500 companies. They're kids. But do they become powerhouses of these Fortune 500 companies because of who they are? Somehow, yes. Or because of who being tapped and also they're going to Yale it's not like they're going to like Sac State right I did see a video of a man who was chosen for a another society it was not this one but it was another secret society and he was saying that he's he was like a black kid from the inner city who was there on a scholarship and he was saying about how he doesn't fit the mold and blah 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 however he was a doctor yeah, he's going to Yale. Yeah, so he was still a thing. Um, so part of the problem is that once you are initiated, you swear allegiance to the brotherhood. That The brotherhood comes first above all else. And so part of the, the conspiracy theory and the issue is that people feel that this allegiance is supposed to be taken more seriously than any other allegiance. You are a skull and bones before you are an American citizen. You are a skull and bones before you are a president. 
Wow. Since there's been presidents that are skull and bones. Yes, and that is what the problem was. So when the two candidates that we had to choose from were both skull and bones members, that was kind of the big issue. And the lay person, like you and I, didn't even know about it. <coughs> we had no idea. But these guys are presidential candidates. They are heads of major corporations. They are heads of the CIA. Yes, these, like Prescott Bush. Yes, these guys are these guys are guys. They're not just dude down the street. These guys are guys. The players. Yeah, it's not just like the owner of like the local like. Les Schwab tire shop. Right. But are they players because of who they already are? Or are they players because they were chosen for this society? And that, I don't know how we could know. I don't know how uh, we could know that. There's no way to know. <clears throat> because you look at other, um, like, prestigious, like, look at Harvard, and there's the same kind of thing going on. And yes. they don't have skull and bones. But they still have groups they still have frats yeah but that's what i'm saying is like you can't definitively say it's skull and bones that made these people successful. right i i feel like my personal opinion which i will get to later it's a frat it's just a frat sorry conspiracy theorists i really i really feel that no matter despite all of the things that i'm going to tell you i really feel like it is a frat that these silly privileged 21 year olds join and then they're successful despite it, not because of it. Yes. Anyway, so member nicknames. So everybody gets a nickname. So each member is given a new name once they enter the frat. And there's always some nicknames that continue. Once you have your nickname, that is the nickname that Bonesman will call you forever. Okay. So when they get together, they call each other these names. Some Bonesmen are able to pass their nicknames on to one another, like Sancho Panza. Um, from passed Don on Quixote. from yes, passed on from one to the other. Um, Magog is the nickname for um, the most sexual active, which George Senior's name was Magog. That's surprising. Yes, there is always a. Boaz, who is always the captain of the football team. Whenever they have a star athlete, he is Boaz. Um, Debbie was given the option of creating his own nickname. It's very rare. It's a huge deal. When you are able to create your own nickname, it's like a thing. They just knew he was a big deal. He couldn't think of anything. <laughs> so they called him Temporary. Temporary. And it stuck. So he is forever known as temporary. That's hilarious. Which, so, given that he was a one-term president, that cracks me up. They probably were like, okay, your grandfather was in this, your dad, dad was, was in, in this. this. Like, you just make up your own name. Like, you're going to come up with something cool. Like, yes. Falcon or like, whatever. Yeah, cool. well, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything. Okay, fine, you're temporary. So their, their symbol is the skull and two femur bones crossed in front. Okay. And then there's the number 322. Everybody has seen that picture of the old-timey dudes with the skull and the two femur bones and the number 322. So number 322 is going to figure prominently in a minute. But first, I'm going to talk about that skull and those crossbones. So they're a particular skull and crossbones. Potentially, maybe. Like everything else in this group, 
Could Possibly. be. Possibly. <laughs> could be. Or, <laughs> or that's, could be not. Or that's what they want you to think. Exactly. So apparently it was a big thing to steal. And there is an entire wall in the tomb that is covered in license plates, all containing the number 322. Good thing mine's like T-75. Right. So it's, and that they've all been obtained by crookery. So crookery, which is what they call it, is a big deal. And one of the biggest crookeries was done by Prescott Bush and his buddy and Prescott Bush and his buddy happened to be stationed during World War One at the Fort Sill. Fort Sill, New York. No, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. My brother was there in the army. Okay. Well, they're hanging out there and they are just stuck there and they decide since they're at Fort Sill and oh, Geronimo. Geronimo. Was buried there. Yes, he was. My brother had a picture of that no he had a picture in front of the tomb that is supposedly containing drama oh but it doesn't maybe (laughs) or that's what they want you to think (laughs) because prescott bush and his friend raided the tomb and they took his skull and bones his femur bones his elbow a silver saddle horn no a silver bridle and his saddle horn and these items are now on display in the clubhouse, in the tomb. I'm going to have to break that to my brother real gently. He was, he was guarding an incomplete skeleton. He was guarding just some stuff. So anyway, in 1983, Ned Anderson, who was the tribal chairman of San Carlos Apache Tribe, in, began a campaign to have Geronimo's remains reinterred to his homeland in Arizona. Well, right after he starts this, he gets a letter. And this letter is from an anonymous person. And this anonymous it's person like, AKA says... not Prescott Bush. No, because he's dead. Oh, yeah. Know. Not George Bush. This letter says, well, if you do this, you're not going to find Geronimo's skeleton intact. We used his skull every Sunday and Thursday <laughs> in our secret rituals. And as proof, he enclosed a photograph of Geronimo's skull and crossed femur bones in the display case at the tomb. Yeah. The skull and bones logbook actually details Bonesman as saying there were six army captains robbing a grave that wouldn't look good in the papers. The reference to the grave robbery, the logbook refers to the Bonesman as patriarchs and says, quote, the ring of pick and on stone and the thud of earth on earth alone disturbs the peace of the prairie. An axe pried open the iron door of the tomb and patriarchs Bush entered and started to dig. We dug in turn, each on relief, taking turn on the road. We closely, we quickly closed the grave and shut the door and sped to the home of Patriarch Mellon's room where we cleaned the bones. Patriarch Mellon sat on the floor of the li- liberally applying carbonic acid. The skull was fairly clean, having only some flesh inside and a little bit of hair. I showered and hit the hay, a happy man. Ew. It's really gross. Yeah. Um, skull and bones members, so they're trying to settle this. 
1986, they had a meeting in New York where they were like, okay, here's your bones. And some Skull and Bones members met this Apache, just representative of the Apache Nation with a skull that they said was Geronimo's. Not, though. They admitted that the skull, that they called this skull Geronimo. However, they gave us a skull. The skull was so small that it looked like a young boy's skull. Based on that, we didn't want to take the skull. I think they switched the skull on us. Duh. Was what the Apaches said. So, in 2009, 20 descendants of Geronimo's Family filed lawsuit against Skull and Bones, Yale University, and members of the United States government, including President Obama at the time, calling for the return of their ancestors' remains um, from New Haven, Fort Sill, for whatever and whatever else they found. The lawsuit, however, was eventually dismissed because they claim the judge said that the Native American Graves Protection and Re- Reparation Act only applied to grave robberies that happened prior to 1900 when the law was signed. Uh, I beg to differ on that. Right? Because I know it's happened around here, like, since that time. And they've been returned. Yes. I just listened to a podcast about prehistory humans, and they found these bones in Europe, but they traced them to through um, DNA to tribes here in the United States. And they eventually gave them the bones and let them inter them in the tribal traditional way. These are people who did not live in the United States, but they were related to people who lived in the United States. And they gave them those bones. But they won't give them Geronimo's skull. It's so hinky. That adds to the whole conspiracy theory. Completely. It is so hinky. I could not find anything on Don Quixote's. Nothing. Like whether they had it or whether there's been lawsuits or anything other than they claim they had it. And they call people Sancho Panza. Yeah. I don't know what to believe about this group. I don't know if it's this crazy conspiracy or if it's freaking frat That's what they want you to believe. They don't want you to have any clear picture. Okay. Number 322. Theory number one. The number 322 appears in the Skull and Bones insignia and is is wildly reported to be significant as the year of the Greek orator Demothesian's death. Okay. Never heard of him. Right. So apparently. Or her. (laughs) there is a letter between the early society of Yale archivists that suggests that 322 is a reference to the year 322 BCE that measures the date that the Lemayan war ended and was the death of Demothenius. And Athenians were made to dissolve their government and establish a plutocrat system, which was in its stead, which meant that unless you were, you had to purchase your citizenship. So unless you were wealthy enough to purchase your citizenship, you are not a citizen. So the idea is that they believe if you are not of a certain 
wealth station, yeah. or a certain station in life, you are not a citizen. Got it. So, okay, elitist. Right. Or. That's what they want you to believe. 322, theory number one and a half, or theory number two. Whatever you want to think. The number is also traced to Elugia, who is known as the goddess of elegance. The story of Elugia goes back to 322 BC, which according to mythology, Demotheans, who is the Greek orator who died then when they had this whole war, and they both went to heaven, and then her activity on earth ended until 1832 when the Skull and Bone Society was formed at Yale and she came down from heaven to live in the tomb. This sounds too red yarny to me. It's very red yarny. Um, they worship her and it requires members to steal valuable things to bring her as offerings. So they steal license plates with 322 in them. Yeah, no, this is too... And the skull of... too, too complicated. It's... The, the complications of the nexus lines that these people swallow hook, line, and sinker are amazing. So, in addition to the gifts, the society does other things to regard the goddess, like members sing satan satanic hymns to praise her. They meet twice a week by unveiling the, temp the temple to Elugula, and they call themselves the Knights of Elugula, where they also get their original name, which was the Elugian Club, comes back into play. So, 322, theory number three. Which is, despite the fact that there's also the theory that he is the, it was the second club of the club, second chapter of the club founded in, in 1832. Yes, okay, yeah. From the second Nazis. chapter of the 32 club. From the Nazis. Yeah. What will become the Nazis. So... The others say that the number 322 represents founded in 322 of the Second Corps, referring to the First Corps of the unknown German University. There are theories that the Skull and Bones are also a death cult and a group of big-time assassins... Nah, I don't buy it. ...who are responsible for the deaths of multiple presidents. This website goes on and on and on. Oh, I should have given my sources first. About the presidents that they have killed... Now, many of these died from natural causes, but... Or did they? They're claiming responsibility for them. They even state that Bush Sr., who was in the CIA, was instrumental in the Kennedy assassination. I've heard that, though, actually. And in his responsibility as the CEO of this group and this the in his job at the cia he would fly back and forth to florida and he planned the kennedy assassination in these trips yeah i've actually heard his connection to the kennedy assassination yes. as a as a theory so again it just you know it goes on and on and on and on from all of these different agendas and you can literally Anything you want to believe about the society, you can research it and believe it. And, you know, 
It's it's just like my my sources are two pages long. Well, the tin foil on my hat is tarnishing. So the tin foil on your hat is tarnishing. My sources are two pages long. Skull and Bone Society. What do they do? Um, the Order of the Skull and Bones. Everything you wanted to know. Amazon Prime Video. Skull and Bones Secret Society. Dark facts about the Skull and Bones. Openly secret. Um, Mystery of the Skull and Bones and Geronimo's Skull. It goes on and on. So you can you can believe whatever you want to believe. And I I personally I really, 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 really do. I think it's a frat house full of spoiled brat 21-year-olds who think they're cool. Or is that what they want you to believe? They may. <laughs> they may, but I am not an expert um, on any of it. Not on this. <laughs> I am not an expert nor a conspiracy theorist. I'm just a drunk. Just a drunk. As always, you can contact us on Facebook at Crime and Time OTR. On Instagram, we are Crime and Time OTR. On Twitter, we're at Crime and Time OTR. And our email is crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. Email is where you'll want to where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions, things Topics. you want to learn about. Yeah. yeah. Or just say hi. Or just say hi. And we also have a new Patreon page Yay. if you want to buy us a drink. Buy us a drink. So that is patreon.com slash crime and time OTR. And we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons. Absolutely. I'm excited. See you there. Thank you for listening.